Good morning. We are in the third week of Advent and we are having a blast this morning. We've kind of got off track a little bit, but we're having a good time. So again, we are in our third week of Advent as we celebrate the weeks leading up to Christmas, or as we like to call it Christmas, because it's really about Christ. Uh, as we prepare our hearts, we prepare our spirits, we prepare our minds to celebrate the birth of Jesus that took place some 2,000 years ago, which brought us freedom from the law and gave us freedom, spiritual freedom, in salvation. And this morning, as we've had the, the worship team and the singing, we, we worship in spirit and truth, as the Bible states. And we also, besides celebrating this initial Advent back in Bethlehem that happened some 2,000 years ago with the, re, with the, the birth of Christ, to initially bring us salvation, we also celebrate the second advent when Christ returns and we say, as the Bible says once again, come quickly, Lord Jesus, as we look forward to his return and we are with him. Now, so far in our advent series, as we have tried to build our, our attitudes and our hearts and our lives toward the celebration of Christmas, we have looked at hope, the hope that we have in Jesus of the fulfilled prophecies of the prophets of old, of how all that happened like some 700 years before Christ was born with the prophet Isaiah and with others, and Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. We've also looked at the peace that we have with the birth of Jesus and salvation. Not so much the peace of the world, but the peace that we have with God in a right relationship. That as through Christ, through the shedding of his blood that we celebrate in communion, we have the forgiveness of sins. And therefore we are once again made right with Christ that although this world is in chaos, we have the peace that we know that we are in a right relationship with God once again. That because of that right relationship and that peace, we have no condemnation, no fear of the future, especially in the judgment day of Christ that when we stand face to face with Christ. There will be no condemnation in us because of what Jesus has done. And today, we look at the joy that we have in Jesus. Joy. Now we sing that little song in Sunday school, you know, I've got the joy, 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 where? Down in my heart. And the reality of it is some of us have that so buried down in our heart, we don't even experience anymore, right? I mean, it's supposed to be there, but it's just like it's been buried and compiled with commercialism and materialism and, and anxiety. And we want to look at the joy that we have in Jesus that it would bubble up back to the surface again. Because there are many during this time of year that if you look at stats, just normal stats on Google and all that, which of course are always true, right? We all know that. But they always talk about how for many this year is not a season of joy, but it's a season of what? Loneliness, stress, depression, sadness, and even within the church, we have many of those that they hear the message of joy, and they're going, I read it in the Bible, I hear about it from the pulpit, I hear about it in the, in the worship songs that we sing, but I'm not experiencing it. Where is this elusive joy that the Bible talks about that it's supposed to be so prevalent, but I just can't seem to attain. And I'm gonna present this morning that that joy, the joy that we have in Jesus the Christ is always there. It's always readily attainable, and it's always literally right in front of us to grab onto. And again, 
There are many that say, well, then how do I get it and why am I not experiencing it? And I would put it this way. When Jesus called the apostles, he gave them a two-word simple command. And do you remember what that simple command was? Follow me. When he would meet them, whenever they were doing what they were doing in a worldly, cultural, financial sense, with their employment, with their jobs, with what they were doing, Jesus would say, follow me. And the call was to be able to walk away from everything and just to go into that great adventure of the unknown, following Christ in faith, not knowing where he was going, but knowing that he would not let us down. And I think the key to experiencing joy is to completely submit to Christ. Because the problem is for most of us, even in the church, even with this thing we call faith, remember faith is, you know, not knowing what the future holds, not seeing it, not having control over it. And that's where most of us struggle. Because to submit to Jesus, we have to give up that thing called control, right? And reality is sometimes we are such control freaks. We want to manipulate the future and the time being. We want to manage what happens. We want to know before it's there. We want the assurance of, hey, I've got this. And the Bible says when we came to salvation, we died to that. Because we died to ourselves. We died to that old sinful nature. We died to that person that said, I have to have control. I have to be in charge. I have to know what's going on. And we were reborn in salvation to that person that says, I will follow Jesus, not in blind faith, but in the assurance of a true faith in that he has never failed one of his promises. In the assured faith that he has never let me down. In the assured faith that every time I have strayed from him, like the prodigal son, he has sought me out. And we come and submit this Christmas season to Jesus in that assured faith, realizing this, we are out of control. We are not going to have control. We may not know what the future holds, but we trust in God. As Christian and Tara and I were driving down this morning to church, we were talking about the reality that even when sometimes seemingly, and I say seemingly because it's all in our perspective, right? Sometimes seemingly bad things seem to happen in our lives. The reality is in faith, we can have joy and confidence because we know that God is still using those things for good, that there's a purpose, there's a plan in that, that he's got something better waiting for us, that he's looking out for us, that as we cry out, dear Lord, in this season of joy and the season of all that's going on, and I don't know what the future holds, and Jesus says, yes, I know, but I do. And I've got you in my hands and nothing can pull you out. And all you have to do is follow me trust me. But sometimes that's really, really difficult to do because the words are so easy to roll off our tongue. Oh, I trust Jesus. I live in faith. And then comes the moment where we are called to what? Trust Jesus and live in faith. You've heard this example, but years ago when Christy and I did youth ministry, we would do a session with the kids and we'd go on retreats that we would have a, a spiritual retreat to grow them in their spiritual faith. 
And at the beginning of that treat, early into it, we would do what we would call a faith fall. And his faith fall was simple. We would set out a nice table, and then we would get the kids and line up on rows facing each other at the end of that table, and we would have somebody get up on the table, and then we'd add a chair and ask them to get on the chair on the table. We'd ask them to take their arms like this, and in faith, trusting the people below to what? Fall back, and we would tell them that they would catch them. Well, here was the reality and the paradigm. When you were at ground level and you were looking up, you're like, that's so easy. It's only this high. Come on, what's the big deal? But then as the students would get on the table, the perspective would change. Because now not only was it this high, it was way down this low. And then we'd ask them to get on the chair, which added another foot and a half or two feet. And now instead of looking at it here, it was way up here. And they were looking down there. And the perspective from looking at that high point down on where they were at the low point looking up, where they thought it was so easy, was now extremely scary. Because the reality of the, the depth perception and the height would hit them. And when they were on solid ground on the bottom looking up, they would be like, this is a breeze, what's the big deal? But when they stood on the chair and they folded their arms and they couldn't see behind them, while others were holding a chair in place and while the two rows were locking their arms, ready to catch them, they were in fear. In fact, many of them would often cry and we would reassure them and say, you can do this, we will not let you fall, we will not fail you, we will not let you drop. But their mind played such games that they struggled to let go. And then finally the moment would come where more out of desperation and instruction than faith, they would fall back. And they would be caught. And those same tears of fear would suddenly be turned into tears of joy because they realized that they fell in the safe arms and they were not failed. You see, when we come to these moments of faith, in this season of faith, this season of anticipated coming, this season of following Jesus completely, to have that supposed elusive joy that, that strays from us, all we have to do is in faith is get up there and fall back into the loving arms of Jesus in faith, knowing that we can't see him, knowing that we have no control over that, knowing that we are going to fall in his loving arms, his strong carpenter arms, which will catch us and keep us from harm. And on our level, sometimes we look at it and we say, we live in faith, we are men and women of faith, we submit to Christ, it's easy to do. But when those moments come, where the action, the lifestyle, the living out of the faith is enacted, that's when we're on those chairs. And can you relate with me? Do you know what those moments are? And my encouragement to all Christians is when you are in those moments, back into the loving arms of Jesus because he will catch you and those tears of fear will suddenly be turned into tears of joy knowing that you are safe. God not only has you and your life and your eternity in his hands, he has your very future and in those moments where we need to live in faith, he's got us there too, doesn't he? 
he's got us there. So today we want to celebrate joy and realize that we can have this joy as we just simply follow Jesus and fall into his strong arms as in this season of Advent we want to be filled with the joy of Christ, the joy of knowing that we are secure and safe, that our lives are built upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. That when the storms of life come and the gale winds shatter against our windows, and the floods rise, and the earth quakes, that we will be okay. We will be firmly established. We are firmly established in Jesus Christ. And that promise should give us great courage, as the Bible says, shouldn't it? To go forth in faith and know that God is with us. So today as we look back to that miraculous birth of Jesus. We, we travel back to Bethlehem once again in a season of Advent, this anticipated coming of Jesus. And we talk about the, the name of our series, which is called Arrival. With the arrival of Jesus into this world and the forthcoming arrival of him to return, that it's all about his forthcoming, his arrival to change the world in a miraculous way, to change our lives in a miraculous way. When he first came in his arrival, he brought us the hope of the world and salvation. When he returns again, he will do the miracle of changing our bodies into spiritual bodies in the twinkling of an eye and making us holy and perfect and complete. Both tremendous miracles. We look back to the moment of Jesus' arrival and it brought in such great joy with the prophetic hope, the peace, but also the joy of the Messiah come to redeem his people. His arrival had great cause for joy, not just amongst the people there, but for us today because of the fulfilled promises. As we look back and reflect on that moment, we go back to Bethlehem in our series and we look back at the ages and we remember that old song that states this, Joy to the world, the Lord, what, has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, which is amazing in that song because the reality of that first Christmas, there was what? No room in the end for Jesus. And the song reminds us to let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Today my hope is as we hear these words of Christ, as we look into the scriptures, that we prepare our hearts to make room for him. That our legacy as a Christian, as a believer, isn't like his first birth where there was no room for him in the end because they were so filled with themselves and the, the chaos of the census and all that was going on, all the busyness of the world that there was no room for Jesus, but that today we would prepare our hearts and that we would purposely, consciously, willingly, intently make room for Jesus. And in that moment to receive him and experience that joy. Today, let us receive our King Jesus and live in the joy that Jesus gives, the joy that comes with Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, 
as we look at a passage that exemplifies some of this joy that we are talking about. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And it reminds us of that age-old Christmas story that we read so often. Luke 2, 8 to 9, it says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly joyful and excited and exuberant. Is that what the Word of God says? <laughs> no, what does it say? And they were terribly frightened. Not just frightened, but terribly Frightened. Now, we've broken this apart over the years in many Advent services about here you are some 2,023 years ago, give or take a couple years. You were outcast in the field watching your sheep by night, not just by day, but by night as they would build these little makeshift pens and with bramble and stuff around them. And then the shepherds would actually sleep in the gate of this little pen so that nothing could come in and the only way to go in and out of that little pen was through the shepherds that they literally laid their lives down for their sheep to keep them safe that as the sheep were sleeping soundly the shepherds were listening for the sounds of wolves or coyotes or predators that while the city was sleeping actively they were out working and they're out in the pitch black darkness you know at that time the cool thing was there was no light pollution right there's no ambient light from the cities illuminated that when they were outside the city gates in the dark it was dark except for the stars if it was a, a cloudless night that shone throughout the night now we all know here and we joke about the fact that with our limited audio-visual light technicians in this room that when we go from dark watching the PowerPoints and Ellen flips the light on that light hits us and it's like whoa right well now picture yourself as one of these shepherds out there you've got your sheep in the pen you worked all day to make this pen with the bramble and leaves and sticks that are out there you're sleeping again you're listening to the voices you're looking up at the stars or the clouds it's dark out. You're trying to catch a little rest in the coolness of the night with only your cloak to keep you warm. And suddenly, an angel appears. And all the radiance and glory and Shekinah light of heaven, and it illuminates the ground. You know, we all see those alien movies that we were joking about earlier, where the UFO comes down and a light beam comes down and just envelops everything below it. The people are like, ah, right? Well, imagine being a little shepherds and this angel appears, the glory of heaven around it, and the light is just radiating from this angel, illuminating everything around you brighter than the sun at day. The glory of the Lord shone upon them. What are you going to be? You're not going to just be frightened. You're going to be what? As the Word of God says, terribly frightened. You've never seen anything like this before. There are no neon signs. There are no LED lights. There are no flashlights, no headlamps, only candles and, and, and fires. And this light 
is like nothing you ever have experienced before in your life. It is so bright and so radiant and you are so exposed in the vastness of the field. And this angel hovers above you with the glory of the Lord emitting from him. And you are terribly frightened, wondering, what must this mean? I've thought about this passage, and I know what I would think. This is the end. This is how I go out. I don't know what happens next, but this is it, right? Wouldn't you think that? The glory of the Lord shines upon you. And in that moment, the fight or flight instinct <coughs> kicks in, but I'll bet you money that even with that fight or flight instinct of the shepherds, that natural instinct, as they were terribly frightened, I think they were so frightened they could not what? Move. All they could look up, do is look up and be like, oh my goodness, what happens next? It's a miraculous moment. It's a terrifying moment. The Bible warns us when it comes to not accepting Jesus into salvation that it says it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God who judges us. And only in salvation do we have that peace again that as we fall into the hands of the living God, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ and we need not fear. But for those who don't have that, it's a terrible thing to fall into his hands. And this would be horrible to suddenly leave the image at this point where they were terribly afraid. You know, this is like a bad B-rated horror movie where all this bad stuff happens and the movie just says, the end. And you're left going, you've got to be kidding. What happens next? Do they die? Do they live? Are they burnt up in a cloud of smoke? What happens? Well, luckily the Bible continues for us. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and remember the, the audacity, the atrociousness of this terrible, frightening moment for the shepherd. And then something happens in peace and calmness and stillness. It says, but the angel said to them. Now notice what it says there. It doesn't say the angel yelled at them. It doesn't say the angel screamed them. It doesn't say the angel commanded them. It says that the angel said to them, and when you speak one to another... We speak in a small, a calm, soothing voice. And the angel said to them, what? Do not be afraid. He addressed the number one issue in their life right then and there. He says, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. It's so cool what God has the angel do here. He addresses their initial fear. He says, don't be afraid. In other words, no harm is going to happen to you. There'll be no zapping, no lightning bolts from heaven. This is good. Just bask in the immense glory of God and do not be afraid. For I am bringing you something. I am bringing you great joy 
but it's not just for you, for you will be my messengers, my ministers, ministers. It will be for who? For all people. Now, what's the miracle in that last part that it will be for all people when these shepherds were made ministers? Well, when you remember your good theological Bible history, shepherds were outcast. And God spoke to the outcast of the world to say, you will bring the most important message to the world that they have ever heard. You will be the ambassadors of God. You will carry the message of salvation to my enemies to bring them hope. What an amazing thing. Now let's just break this down. You are terribly frightened for one thing. You're out working at night. You're not accepted in the city. You're suddenly terribly frightened. And now the angel, kind of like Gideon, if you remember the story of Gideon when he's found, he's hiding, he's scared. And the angel says, I am appointing you as the minister of the Most High. Me? But I'm a shepherd. Angel says, kind of like, yes, I know. And like Moses, they may have been saying, well, why don't you pick one of the city officials or the king or, you know, one of the elite in a synagogue? And the angel says, no, God has chosen you. And that's the message to us today, that God has chosen us to be the ministers of his gospel, to bring joy to the world. And what's so astounding about that? Well, you all never struggle with self-confidence, do you? You all never struggle with depression or I'm not good enough or I can't do it. But when the angel speaks to us, the joy that is given to us is that self-consciousness is buried and dead and left behind and we are suddenly given God confidence. God confidence replaces self-confidence in faith, which brings much great joy. And with great joy always comes good news, right? When we have great joy because someone is returning, a loved one is coming back to us, we tell everybody about the good news that they're returning, right? And that's what happened in this moment that this is the place where God began to bring his people back into a right relationship. And the good news is that God has come to dwell among his people. And that's good news. That's good news. We've already talked about the issue of hope that God gave us, that God did not forget his people. He did not forget the prophecies that had to be fulfilled that no one else could ever fulfill. We talked about the peace that God made us peacefully right with God, and now we talk about the cause for great joy and celebration in our lives, even today, as we know the fulfillment of that story, and we know there is yet more to come. More to come when Jesus returns in the second advent, and Sin and death are cast away. Tears and pain and fear are gone. And God perfects us into all that he has created us to be. 
and we join with the myriads and myriads of angels in crying glory to God, glory in the highest. You think singing with our worship team is awesome? Can you imagine singing with myriads and myriads of angels in perfect tune and perfect tone and perfect timing? How awesome is that going to be? You see, Jesus is both the good news, the gospel, as we call it, and Jesus is the great joy. Because Jesus gives us new life. As the Bible says, we are a new what? Creation. Behold all the old, broken, chipped, scratched, rusty, bad things are gone away and now you are a new creation. The only way I could think of it is this way. It's kind of like a couple years ago, I get a brand new car for the very first time in my life, and I've had it for 15 years now, and now the engine knocks, it spits out smoke, it guzzles gas, it leaks oil, it's been dinged a couple times, not because of me, but because of Christy, and it's just kind of wearing down, it's rusted, the tires go flat, and someone says, John, put that old beater away. Here is a brand new car, right? We get that part. And what Jesus did in the cause for great news and great joy is he came in and he gave us a new life. Behold, the old one is gone. That one that failed and was broken and scratched and rusted and arthritic and aging and wrinkling and flabby. Now, <laughs> now we're getting personal. I gotta bring it home and make it real, right? <clears throat> In Christ that is gone. And behold, we are a new creation and all things are made right. I love the little tagline of the season which we all hear is that Jesus is the what? The reason for the season. But he really is. It's not just a little model we throw out there. Now, I know retailers and marketers put it up there, but it's true, and we have to remember that in this Advent season, that Jesus is the reason for the season, but he's the reason different than the world thinks because the world thinks Jesus is the reason for the season because that's why we gotta buy more presents and gadgets and, and, and Googles, and we gotta buy this, we gotta buy that, and we gotta have Christmas parties, and, and we gotta go in debt to buy all this stuff for people because we gotta celebrate the birth of Jesus, so we have to go in debt and give stuff we can't afford to people we don't like and don't want to and don't appreciate the gift, and we gotta do this. So hopefully that's not too personal, maybe just in our lives, or I don't know. Anyway. Jesus is the reason for the season because he gives us hope, he gives us peace and a right relationship with God, and he gives us joy that is incomprehensible and non-dependent upon circumstance or materialism or Christmas parties or invited or not. He gives us things that are real, that the world is crying out for so desperately and trying to buy and attain and get. And Jesus says, they're yours. They are the free gift of God. We have them already. We can experience through Jesus the hope, peace, and joy of this Advent season. The hope, peace, and joy of Christ's birth. And to do that, let's go backwards a little bit like we did last week. 
because that first Christmas, when Jesus was born, was not filled with Good Friday or, or, or Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Local Town Tuesday and sales and 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 wassail and and free gifts and candy loaded with calories and and all this stuff. We go back to that first Christmas in a serene little barn, as they called it, in the evening when the animals have already laid down to rest with the busyness of the world all around them, coming in for the census, hustling and bustling like our world does today. But yet in that barn of that time, the animals are calm, the light of the star shines in. Somewhere I kind of like to believe the radiance of that angel speaking to the shepherds out in the fields is shining in. And there's a father, and there's a young mother who have just given birth to a two-minute-old baby. And he is wrapped in the things that they have, and they are together, and they are warm, and they are safe, and there is new life and birth, and they are a family. No matter whether they have much or little, a palace or their paupers, they have each other, and now they have a child. And for them, the world is calm and at peace. Can you see that image? Can you feel the joy brand new first-time father, a brand new first-time mother, holding this miraculous life in your hands and knowing that through the birth and delivery and everything, he is healthy and he is okay. And at that moment, people, I guarantee you, that's all you need. And there is joy in that moment, isn't there? That was the first Christmas. That was the first Advent, the anticipated arrival of the very Son of God and Jesus the Christ as a baby. And for that family, it didn't matter what happened in the world, all the chaos, all the busyness, the census, finding food, finding a place. At that moment, no matter where they were in a simple barn with, with odorous animals and all this stuff, there was joy. There was togetherness. There was meaning and there was value and there was hope for the world. Not just because Jesus was the Son of God, because, but because they had a Son and their lives to pour out to give to Him, to pour into Him. Someone to be meaningful for, to care for, to be there for in all ways. Someone to make them needed and necessary and wanted and loved. And that surpasses any of the stuff that our marketers throw out today, doesn't it? That's what I want you to remember this Advent season. It's the joy of the very first Advent, the very first Christmas. The joy in that serene moment in the barn. There were no gifts exchanged except for the gift of God and the Son of Jesus. The very first real gift given to the world 
without cost, without condition, without strings attached, just given to those who would receive. If you think back to that first Christmas and you think back to the shepherds in the fields, that first Advent, we have strayed pretty far away from the real meaning of the season, haven't we? We have strayed pretty far away from the real importance of that serene picture. We have strayed trying to control Christmas and joy and giving and made it something it has never been meant to be. What is important this year? That we can celebrate joy? What is important is that God has given us a gift in Jesus and in him we have salvation. We can be courageous, we have no fear, we live in faith. We can be joyful because we have a church family that upholds us in prayer and serves one another and gives to one another, that encourages one another and is always there for one another. We can celebrate in joy that we have life within our lungs and breath and our heartbeats. Irrelevant of whatever medical problems may be there, we still have life. And with that life means that we still have time to be in ministry for Jesus, to be the ambassadors, the gospel bearers for him, like those shepherds. That with that breath and those heartbeats, we have more seconds and moments to fall on our knees before God and give him glory and praise as we will for all eternity in heaven. And if you don't like those words, you better recheck things because that's what we're going to be doing in heaven for all eternity is falling on our knees and worshiping the one true God. And it's going to be amazing and glorious. We have all reason to have joy. And that joy has already been given to us, hasn't it? That joy is already there. We just had to go back and look for it. Because sometimes during this season, like the Grinch, our hearts have grown too small. They've been boxed in. But when the true meaning of Christmas invades in, our hearts begin to grow, not one, not two, not three, but four times. It's normal size, if you remember the story. And it burst out of that box with a heart to give and to love and to rejoice and to celebrate. <clears throat> and that's what we already have. That's where we get the joy of this season. We shared off with those words, joy to the world. Let's remember them again. Joy to the world. Why? Because the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart do what? Prepare him room and heaven nature sing. This brings us back to the most quoted Bible verse of the Bible, John 3, 16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
And we are reminded once again of Luke 2, which says the angel brings us good news of great joy, and it will be for all people. Why? Because God so loved. And God so loved, not just the world, God so loved you and me individually. It's personal. as Luke 2.11 states, For today in the city of David, there has been born for you, again, it's personal, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the joy that we celebrate. That's why we get so emotional as we look at the lights of the trees and we remember the glory of the Lord of the angels to the shepherds in the field. As we look to the candles of Advent, we count down the, the weeks, the days, the moments before the day we celebrate Christmas. We look at the communion table and remember the giving of his body and the shedding of his blood for our salvation and for the forgiveness of sin. And as we look at the gifts under the tree and remember that first Christmas with Joseph and Mary and Jesus and remember God's gift to us. That's what brings us joy. Not as the world gives, but as God gives. And so to have that joy, we must make a decision in this moment. Do we want the joy that the world offers, but tries to get us to buy? Or do we want the joy of Jesus? Irrelevant financial status, of social status, of culture, of race, of color. We want the joy that is given to all of us in Jesus. Reader's Digest a number of years ago ran this story and it kind of exemplifies in a simple, real way what we're talking about today. The young girl writes, it had been a tough year for my family. Whenever my mom looked over at the tree, and the few scattered presents, she would sigh and warn us, there won't be much for Christmas this year, kids. Try not to be disappointed. Christmas had traditionally been a time for my parents to spoil us lavishly. In years past, the presents would pile up and spill out from under the tree, taking over the entire living room. I had heard the phrase, giving is better than receiving, but thought that whoever said that must have been out of their mind. Because getting presents was the whole point. It was the reason I couldn't get to sleep on Christmas Eve. And on that Christmas morning, we eagerly awaited in the hallway and Dad, until Dad came out and told us, everything is ready. And we rushed into the living room and we let the wrapping paper fly. We made weak attempts to wait and watch while other members opened their presents. But as time passed, we lost our self-control. My mom looked over at me after I had opened up all my presents and she said, Dear, here's another one for you. As my mom handed me the package, I looked at it and I was confused because I had spent so much time examining every single present, especially the ones with my name on it, that I recognized this one. And it wasn't mine. It 
was my mom's. A new label had been put on it with my, my, my name written on it my mom's rough handwriting. I looked up with tears in my, my, in my eyes and I said, Mom, I, I can't, we don't have anything this year. I was stopped by my mother's eager, joyful look, a look which I really couldn't understand at the moment. And my mom simply and quietly and calmly said, honey, let's see what's in it. Go ahead and open it up. It was a blow dryer. And though that may seem such a simple gift, there was much more. Being an 11-year-old girl struggling with how I looked every day, weight giving by light years, my mom's act of selflessness was incomprehensible. It was a huge act. She had given me her present, her only present for the year. Tears filled my eyes and I thought in disbelief about how much my mom must love me to give up her only Christmas present so I could have more. I've always remembered that Christmas fondly. It had such an impact on me. And as an adult with children, my life, in my life and whom I adore, I can now understand my mom's actions. I see how she was not giving up her Christmas, as I had thought, but she was finding even greater joy in her Christmas. Because giving truly is better than receiving. And my mom's simple act meant the world to me from that Christmas on. Our Christmas present this year is simply that Jesus gave up his life so that we could have ours. Jesus sacrificed his gift and like the mother gave us that gift that we could have more. Isn't it a wonderful Christmas? Isn't it a joyful Christmas this year? This year let us really celebrate the true joy of Christmas giving is so much better than receiving. But yet, in light of that, we have received the greatest gift of all eternity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. We thank you so tremendously for the giving, the sacrifice of your son. Jesus, we thank you for the selfless giving of yourself and your life so that we could have life risen from death. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift of engulfing us and filling us and surrounding us and leading us. This year, we have so much reason to celebrate in such joy, just as Joseph and Mary did with the newborn two-minute-old baby Jesus in their hand, that nothing in the world made any difference or even mattered anymore. Because we all have what is truly, immeasurably important and valuable. Lord, to you, this Advent season be the glory and the power and the majesty forever and evermore. In Jesus' name.